0: So I'm really excited about my guest today because there's this big debate on the right about how we move forward when things seem to be uh, falling apart. And as I spoke about before, uh, it seems like we are entering what they call a post-Christian world, but was really a pre-Christian pagan world. And a lot of people are wondering how we can get back the ideas of virtue and the practice of virtue uh, that the founders knew was so essential to our freedom. Stephen Wolfe has written a really provocative book uh, called The Case for Christian nationalism. You'll remember that we were being condemned. Everybody on the right was being condemned for being Christian nationalists. Stephen Wolf says, yeah, Uh, he is a uh, country scholar at Wolfshire in central North Carolina, where he lives with his wife and four children. And he recently finished a postdoctoral fellowship at Princeton uh, Princeton University's James Madison program. He co-hosts the podcast, Ars Politica. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on. So,
0: since Christian nationalism has become a, 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 virtually a slur uh, on the left, maybe you could start by just giving us something of your definition of what Christian nationalism even means.
1: Yeah, I mean, to, to the simplest definition is, uh, is that it's, a, it's simply a nation or a Christian nation that has chosen to arrange itself and act uh, for its good, uh, and that good is both uh, earthly and heavenly good. So that's simplest, the simplest, the 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 simplest kind of definition, um, and I, I think that's uh, that's something Christians should should desire and, and seek after. So uh, so it's just it's the, the, our earthly and temporal good, which would be you know just earthly comforts that sort of thing, but at the same time have that the the nation think well, there's something higher uh, and greater than just the the mash we eat all day. Um, if there's something higher, and uh, we should order ourselves to that.
0: Would that affect the way, for instance, lawmakers debate laws and the way laws are made?
1: Um, I think that it would. It, it, I think it would, but I think the, the main point is that there would be this, this sense in which we as a people, as a Christian people, um, ought to think of things higher than not, not, not only, I mean, not, not only are the intergenerational way, the, the thinking in terms of future generations, but also the present generation as well um, and and their ultimate end. So what what is the, the chief in demand is to glorify God, um, and to glorify God is to worship God, and that's what we'll do in heaven. So I think the the nation, the lawmakers, if they had that in mind, I think we would have um, laws that would point people to that.
0: Okay, so now the, the, I, the obvious question, does this in any way mm-hmm. get in the uh, – uh, is it obstructed by the founders' commitment to not having a government establishment of religion uh, and to having free expression of religion, which, in the Constitution at least, doesn't exclude Judaism and Islam and other religions?
1: Yeah, I think it. Uh, certainly, at the founding era, at the, the at the federal level, um, the First Amendment, of course, only at, at first, and I think still only applies to the federal um, federal government. So, yeah, there was you could not establish religion at the federal system, the federal level. Um, that would impose some kind of denominational, you know, church across the entire nation. But at the time of the founding, there were still uh, several establishments in different states. You had establishments in Connecticut and Massachusetts, um, and other states. And these lasted for decades after the founding. I believe the last one, the the, the last disestablishment was, I think, in uh, early 1830s. I forget the day exactly. But for decades, there were actually uh, church establishments. Um, but but at the same time, the there was wide um, religious liberty. So there's the famous letters that George Washington sent to Jewish synagogue and Roman Catholics and Baptists and said that we as a country are not a persecuting country uh, despite whatever happened in the 17th century. Um, so there's wide toleration, but there still was a, and this is expressed in Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy in America—that that there was a widespread um, uh, self-understanding, of um, American self-conception as a Christian nation—that was at the same time highly tolerant uh, of uh, of of other of you know of uh, uh, non-Christian religions. So I think it is compatible. So when we're thinking Christian nationalism, we shouldn't necessarily think of Europe in the 16th century, but there is a form we can think of that's very American. That I think we can we can we can pull from our own tradition to to seek to uh, restore it.
0: There's no question that at the time of the founding, this was a a Christian nation in the cultural sense of that those words. Now I don't. It seems to me we're almost the opposite of that. Hmm. What what does a realistic path to this uh, Christian nation look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that, is, that is kind of the big question, and uh, um, I, some of the criticisms I've received from the, about the book has been that I don't give enough uh, discussion of that. It's, uh, uh, my excuse is that I'm a political theorist <laughs> trying to do political theory, and I'm not a politician or you know, whatever practitioner, but the, um, I, I think that, that the, the way forward is going to be at the local and, and state level, uh, because there are, there are Christian majorities. Um, in, in many states, um, you know and I, I think if we as Christians were to uh, see ourselves as kind of a, a Christian voting block, I think we could uh, we could um, be very effective at the state and local levels and this would this would potentially clash with the federal uh, uh, level as well. but i I think at at this time with the the kind of moral insanity we're seeing in this country, it's time for Christians to, not just think about kind of pushing back against you know critical race theory or pushing back against critical theory or a lot of the anti-Christian uh, um, sentiment you see among elites, but actually try to replace those as well. So to have a Christian society and a self-confident and explicit um, Christian society. So not, not just go back to the old secularism of the '90s or the '80s, uh, but have a kind of a broader, kind of more robust vision of uh, kind of a restoring this. Christian self-conception—it's reflected in laws, um, and the way we relate to each other as 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 uh, Christians. But yeah, I think that's going to have to be at the local and state level, and and uh, and I think civil leaders are going to have to be very assertive in that regard and face a lot of heat to to bring it about. Do
0: you think? I mean, one of the, we didn't just kind of tumble to this place. We got here through a process of history, and part of that history uh, were the bloody years of the Reformation. Uh, where all of Europe was at each other's throats, and uh, people were burning each other over their, you know, translations of the Bible and over uh, theological points. That today, you know, two people can sit down and have a beer and argue about, uh, you know, the perpetual virginity of Mary. But then, you know, you were being basically put to death if you didn't get the answer right. Uh, and and I think, I don't think anybody wants to go back to that. And yet, it does seem to be. A part of monotheism that there does seem to be this strain in monotheism theism that makes it very difficult to disagree. Uh, is that yeah. antithetical to the American mindset, even the true American mindset, let alone the one we're mm-hmm.
1: steeped in today? I, I think among I, I don't think it is uh, it's antithetical because I think it was if you look at like the 19th century America there was uh, very extremely religious uh, but at the same time you had, Uh, disestablishment and you had a lot of conversations and the people were killing each other at least uh, very regularly at least certainly not not like in the 16th and 17th centuries so i think there is america there's a a very kind of um, deep american tradition of of having a diversity of faiths that at the same time could recognize their country as being a, a christian country and i actually think this is this is kind of principled protestantism because in protestantism your your faith is not necessarily is not aligned to one uh, to sort of institution it's not like in the roman catholic church where you're you're the kind of in or out i know this is kind of complicated and roman catholics might disagree and all that but at least it used to be that kind of if you you're either under the pope or not and that's kind of your in or out of the church the one true church is this whereas presbyterians can look at baptists and say okay we differ on the issue of baptism but we can still recognize each other's mutual faith is it's not a matter of institutional alignment. And so I think what happened in, in American history up into the 1800s was this recognition of mutual Protestantism and this ability to affirm each other's faith. And so there's a very principled Protestant way of extending religious liberty. And this, this, this is true for even people who may not recognize the principle. So uh, Roman Catholics, whatever, they, whatever their view is uh, today or then, um whether they think it's in and out based upon the papacy uh protestants can still extend the religious liberty because of a mutual recognition of of uh, of christianity or trinitarian baptism or something like that um and so i think that the point being that you can have this sort of pan what i call a pan protestant order where protestants recognize following a protestant principle that faith is an inward thing and faith is something that's um not an institutional alignment uh and uh, so you can you can affirm each other's mutual faith and extend re- liberty, liberty and charity, um, Christian charity along those lines. And sure. I and I think that again, again, I think that's what happened in the nineteenth century, um, and it's kind of a, a culmination of a lot of religious history. Like you mentioned, some of the you know the the religious wars and conflicts. I think that was Protestantism working itself out and being able to recognize the uh, the mutual faiths of of fellow Christians.
0: You, you know, I, I totally respect what you said about not being, you're not a policy guy. I'm not a policy guy. It's very hard to sometimes get to places. But I, I am having a somewhat difficult time imagining this world. Maybe it's because we're so far from it that it's uh, my imagination doesn't reach that far. I mean, part of the reason I think we came to this secular, the secular, the idea of secular government is Jesus himself said is, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God. And it seems to indicate that You know, the the government has certain rights that actually are outside of the religious sphere, the right to tax and things like that. Whether or not there's Caesar on the coin, Jesus doesn't seem to care uh, because he's not dealing with those things. Uh, And so I'm having a hard time seeing, well, how how does a Jew feel in this world, uh, in this Christian nation? How does an Islamic guy feel or an atheist feel? Uh, Does he feel that he is being Compressed in some way, that his actual his actual liberty, not his liberty to sleep around, but his liberty to express and live by his conscience, is that being hemmed in uh, by your particular religio- religiosity?
1: Uh, well, I think that yeah, I mean, and, and if it was a Christian nation, uh, this 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 would mean that that public institutions are Christian. This would mean that Christian that public schools are are Christian. Um, and, uh, so there'd be Bible learning and you'd learn English from the Bible. And so there'd be a general expectation that you'd learn religious instruction. That would be biblical. Uh, but at the same time, uh, given what I just said, there would be, uh, the possibilities for exceptions, exemptions based upon if someone doesn't believe, or maybe they're Jehovah's witness, or maybe they're Jewish. And, and so they can be kind of, you know, they can be an exception, uh, to the rule. Kind of like, uh, I mean, today this is kind of what uh, the Christians are actually face this all the time, and that that would be that they are seeking exempt, exemptions from norm. And so, what's happening? So, I mean, it, it's essentially what I'm saying is instead of secularism, it should be Christianity. Um, and then anything that's not Christian can be subject to an exemption. Uh-huh.
0: Uh, I have to, I'm, I've only got uh, two minutes left, so I have to ask you this question. Toward the end of the book, you talk about the gynocracy, and this is something, uh, the rule of women, <laughs> the rule by women. And this is something that religious people are talking about a lot, that it seems to be, A, a making women miserable, but B, uh, going against certain ideas. What What is it? How do you stop it? And as I say, I only have two minutes here. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, so g- gynocracy is just—it's a, a, its trying to understand um, how kind of the feminine, certain feminine traits operate within institutions, um, and this could be everything from government to non-government institutions. And it's—it's it, the—it's—I uh, think a lot of guys experience this when they're kind of kind of like walking on eggshells within the corporate room. They're not sure if what they say is going to get them in trouble uh or what and the, they're the same so there's like this sort of uh, a, like hr um uh mindset that, you, that that women can easily appeal to the third party that is the hr to kind of get at people and, and use retribution you use the system to to gear it around their um the, their interests uh, at the same time the there is the a sense in which the voting block of women particularly liberal women um. well uh, liberal women uh, is is uh, is so skewed towards this empathetic attitude that can actually be very destructive mm. um and I, I don't know the exact solution to it obviously that uh, unless we're going to take out kind of these 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 the the ability for civil rights cases to be um adjudicated to at the expense of the institutions so but but that's the general idea yeah like i said is, is that if there's Certain feminine traits are exhibiting within these institutions that are destructive upon the institutions themselves, um, and, uh, and, and those need to be resisted as best they can. But it seems that the whole system is designed to actually amplify them.
0: I, I have to stop there, unfortunately. A really provocative ideas, a, a, no, a real, a genuine contribution to the debate that's going on. Stephen Wolff is the author's name. S T E P H E N. The book is called "The Case for Christian Nationalism." Stephen, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate
1: it. Yeah, thank you.